Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. Welcome to Grace. My name is Donnell Jones. I don't know how you found Grace, whether you found us online or um, you were sent by assignment here. We have people from all over the world. Some are here on job assignments, three to six months. We have interns. However you found Grace, I pray you find Grace in God. Amen. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to continue our series called His Field. field. Read aloud together from Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 35 through 38. And uh, if you'll start with me, we'll all read together. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Awesome. Let's give God a hand as we take our seats. His field. God has a field. He has more than one. And in this passage, which we've read together, it's significant because Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, is traveling from one place to another place, from one town to another town, from one village to another village, or we might say from city to city to city. And everywhere he goes, he sees crowds. And he's moved with compassion. And he then invites us to be co-workers. And so in this passage, I'm really encouraged because field is an analogy that God uses to describe people. Uh, In the Bible, there's one place where it says you are God's field. You're his building. And we'll look at that later. But when it comes to fields, most of us have homes, place we live, and maybe there's some grass out in front or in back. I know in my home, there's grass in the front of our house to the side and the rear. And uh, recently, my wife has brought uh, the yard to my attention because there's an area that is not being watered. We have a sprinkler system, and it comes up at four in the morning, and it waters the grass. So it does the work for me. But I think one of the sprinkler systems is off because there's this huge patch that has gotten brown, and it's dead. And so Marianne said to me, sweetheart, there's an area that needs some work, right? It, it, it's the, and I said, okay, babe, okay, okay, I, I'll give it attention. And she has brought it to my attention now a few times. And a few times I've said, I'll give it attention, but I, I got some work to do. Anybody got some yard work to do? So it, it's just brown in that one area, and it's because it's not being watered. There's just, it just, it, it, the sun scorching it isn't the problem. It actually needs sun, but sun without the water is not good. It's got to have both. And so, even though I've got a yard and we've got a garden, it doesn't start with us. God himself is the first to actually plant a garden. I want you to look at this verse because as Jesus is walking and talking about fields and he's referring to communities, crowds, people, individuals, let's understand that he's been a gardener from the very beginning. And so, when we're talking about truth, we want to make sure that it's rooted in precedent, that it has its origin in God. So, we always start with him to understand ourselves. In Genesis 2, 8, here's what it says. 
Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So this is Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and we see that there's a garden, and God himself planted the garden. It didn't merely appear. God actually plants things. He planted a garden. Not only did he plant the garden, he actually put a man in the garden. For what purpose? Genesis 2, uh, 15 explains the purpose. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So, original work begins with God. Work is a good thing, not a bad thing. All of us, most of us are probably employed in some work where we get to uh, express the gifts and talents God has given us for the benefit of others, our co-workers, and whatever uh, the intended audience is for the good or service produced. But the original work established by God goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where he put a man in the garden and said, work it, take care of it. So our work has never changed. This is the eternal work of God. Gardens need to be worked. They need to be tended. They need to be maintained. And God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a help me. Now, alone doesn't mean he needed a wife. Alone meant he was one of a kind. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus said, even if everybody else leaves me, I'm not alone. And he never married, but he was never alone because he recognized that his identity was tied in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam was alone because there were no other human beings. So because you're single, that doesn't make you alone. We need to take that idea back from the culture. So in addition to that, he made him a helper, but he made Eve so that they could be fruitful, multiply, and produce all of us. We're sons and daughters. So God, God is the one who planted a garden. He put a man in it to work it. I got some yard work to do this week. I have said it publicly in the first service that I will do it. My wife looked at me like, you said it. So anybody else got some yard work other than me? A few of us got yard work. Great. So here's Jesus now going from place to place, and he sees the crowds. Now, even though he sees the crowds, he sees the individuals in the crowd. This is so important that... The idea in God, this thing called gracious self-acceptance, gives rise to the idea of the, the infinite worth of the one. God cherishes you. He delights in you as you are sitting this morning in your seat. You need to know that you are loved by God, cherished by God. You ought to look in your neighbor's eyes and go, and go ahead and do it and say, God loves you and cherishes you. He does. He loves you and cherishes you even when you don't love and cherish yourself. He cherishes you. He delights in you. He is so much in his heart set toward you that it is overwhelming if you could experience the fullness of it. And so here's Jesus going, and the reason why he is particular about you as an individual, even though you're part of the crowd, is because God is that way in himself in the Trinity. There is this understanding that Jesus actually appreciates the particularity and the otherness in the Godhead. So Jesus appreciates the Father. He appreciates the uniqueness and the otherness in the Father. Jesus appreciates the uniqueness and otherness in the Holy Spirit. And by appreciating the otherness in them, he is able to graciously accept himself and his own uniqueness and his own particularity. In other words, the uniqueness in the Godhead does not 
not cause conflict. Their differences actually result in celebration. When you see someone who's unlike you, you ought to appreciate them, and it ought to make you value the way you're made, different. Not try to be like them. In our culture, we talk about individualism, and yet we all look alike. I got, you know, Jordan shoes, you got a, number, a pair of number nines, what you got, number eight. Or you walk through Georgetown, you see a group of 12 people, they're all wearing the same Benetton sweater, right? In every nation, my kids just crack them and they're like, Dad, you're wearing the every nation pastor uniform, an untucked shirt with jeans and shoes, right? <laughs> every nation pastor, even Pastor Brad, he wears a bow tie on Sunday, but if you see him at the other meetings, he looks, we all dress just like this, how individual we are. So the crowds, the infinite worth of the one. You see Jesus with a woman at the well. You see him with Nicodemus at night. He is, this is the God of the universe, and the scriptures are unpacking for us these intimate moments with one person that he has time to be with. God makes time to be with you. You're never alone. He sees the crowds and he cares for them, he heals them, he teaches them, he strengthens them, and cities change when he shows up. Now, when he sees the crowd, something happens. It says, he saw the crowds, and he was moved with compassion. The Greek, when they talk about compassion, their idea, the picture is the intestines were viewed as the seat of the emotions. So when he saw the crowds, he just wasn't moved in his mind. He was moved in his emotions. The deepest part of him would see people and go out. There was no indifference in him. He doesn't walk down the street or sidewalk and see someone and feel indifferent. He's moved with compassion. Do you know when God sees you, he is moved with compassion? Why? Because he knows we are harassed. Some of us have been harassed in our individual lives, harassed in our marriages, harassed in our family, harassed in our finances, harassed in our careers. He knows what it likes when we are harassed and when we're helpless. But when he sees that, he doesn't say they're harassed and helpless. Even though he sees it, he says, the harvest. Isn't it amazing that our God views us not in the context of our problem, but in the context of our potential. He actually sees that we're harassed. He actually sees that we're helpless. And at the same moment, out of the potential he sees in us because he knows what happens when he connects with us, he calls us the harvest. God's focused on your potential, not your problems. He sees your problems, but he's not moved by your problems. He's moved by his own compassion to bring about the potential of himself in you. You need to be excited about the potential of God in you as an individual, as, an, as a single, as a married person, man, woman, husband, uh, wife, father, mother, whatever, business leader. The enormous capacity in you because of Christ is huge. You're about to blow up and you don't even know it. Because he's moved with compassion. All you have to do is see him and let him see you and it's on. And whatever he did for the last person doesn't matter because he's going to do for you what is uniquely needed in your own life. So that's the crowd. That's the crowd and that's the compassion. And then when he says to the disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The reason why the workers are few is because most people don't want to be employed in all the problems. It's because they can't see the potential that Jesus has invited them to partner with. So when you go to 1 Corinthians, we have Paul writing a letter to the, to the people, the believers in Corinth, and he says this to them. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you put that up on the screen, please, you 
are, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pause here for a second. God's field, God's building, there are two analogies. The church, people, God is both, God's field is organic, God's building is organizational. The church is both organic and organizational. Some people in this room lean organizationally. You're always thinking about the systems and the processes and the structures that are working. Others lean organically. You're just concerned about the relationship. Are we loving each other? Are we trusting each other? And, and and those on this side tend to look at that side and say, you need to be more organic. And those on this side say, you need to be more organizational. But Jesus, the tension pulls it together and lives in the radical middle because he's both organic and organizational. He created the earth in six days and he used organization order to do it. Sun first. Why? You can't have plants because they'll die if the sun comes later. So he thought about the order. Photosynthesis is a process, and he thought about it. But then he got relational, said, put a man in it. Make him like me. Give him a wife. Boom, relational. He's both at the same time. Systems are going on while relationships are going on. And you have to live in the middle. Don't get mad at somebody. Say, where are all my organizational people? Wave at me. See how they wave together? It's organized, the way they think about it. Where are my organic people? Wave at me. Hey, we kind of loose. Yeah, there's no order to it. So we just bump off each other all the time. Why don't you be more organizational? Why don't you be more organic? Be like Christ. He's both. So love your organizational brother and sister and love your organic brother and sister. Grow up. He says, we are God's co-workers. Why does he say we're God's co-workers? Go back to the beginning. Adam was put in the garden to work it. Tend to it. Your original job isn't the one that employs you right now. Your original job is to work the garden, to work the field where you are. And your career is his field. Work it. So while you work it, work. Your neighborhood is his garden. So while you're in your neighborhood, work it. While you're in this city, work it. God's working. But all I see is problems. That's why you got to hear him say, look, the harvest is plentiful. Potential is waiting to break out here. You can stare at the dead grass all week. Well, you can do something about it. You can play it's being scorched. The sun ain't the problem. It's not getting water. So what did he say? Here's the next thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to back it up, verse 3. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Co-workers do two things. Co-workers with God, co-workers with one another. All we do is plant water. Plant water. God makes it grow. I'm here to tell you this morning, God's about to make you grow. God's about to make your marriage grow. If you're single, God's about to make you grow. If you're engaged, if you're courting, God's about to make you grow. You're in business, you're about to grow. You said, but I listen to the word. I know you listen to the word, but let me tell you how you really need to listen to the word. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and don't sell it. Some of us bought something and sold it so it couldn't grow. When the seed comes into you, it comes by hearing, by listening. When you listen, that's how you buy. Water, milk, bread, wine, bread. That's how the kingdom works. Listening is the conduit by which you receive from God. And Jesus himself said, unless a seed falls into the ground, falls into the earth, falls into the soil of your heart and dies, some of us have not let the seed stand us long enough to die. Some of us thought it's dead. It's just about to happen because if it dies, it will produce much fruit. I'm telling you something's about to grow up out the soil of your life. If you'll take this word inside you, I want the worship team to come up and join me. I want people who are going to pray because we're going to pray for seed to go into you as an individual, seed to go into our singles, seed to go into you if you're courting, seed to go into you 
you're engaged. See, Corey said it in the thing. Resurrecting life. When the seed of God gets down inside you, a resurrection of life's going to come out of you. Somebody ought to praise God right now. This is how we're going to pray right now. So we're going to pray for the church this morning. Because God knows the harassment and the helplessness that individually in this crowd, in this church you're experiencing. But we're going to start praying right now for married couples. We're going to pray for those who are engaged. We're going to pray for those who are courting. We're going to pray for those who are single. We're going to pray for youth, children, the next generation. We're going to spend, I cut the sermon short so that God could just do what he wants to do. So open up the soil of your heart. And if you want specific prayer, there's a prayer team right here. You just walk down and, and, and come pray. But if you want uh, general prayer, stay in your seat, and there are going to be people lined up on the stage. They should be up here already, and they're going to pray each for the category. So, Chris, come up. Wendy, come up. CJ, come up. I'm going to jump down here. We're going to start praying. You can stand. You can worship with the team. You can come forward. But here's the thing. The Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You see, seed can be planted but if the soil is hard, it doesn't benefit the seed. Sometimes things don't grow up out of our life. There's just dirt. It's just plain because the, the soil is hard. I, we want to pray. So here's the story that I want to make the point. Anybody married? Raise your hand. Anybody married have a recurring uh, conversation in your marriage? You know what I mean by recurring conversation? It's that conversation that just keeps, it, 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 it's either every week or every month or every six months or every year. So I've been married 28 years, and there are certain conversations we've had for 20 years. Like, and every, and we, it's like the Rubik's Clue. We cannot, we can't get all the colors to line up. But there's one recurring conversation we had in my marriage. Doesn't matter the conversation. I want to tell you what happened. One day my wife said to me what she'd always said to me, and normally I explain it to her. I make her understand, like, baby, sit down. Let me teach you. you, you you're missing something here. And, and, and she listened, and we go back and forth, back and forth. One day she said it, and I said, you're right. She shook her head and said, what? I said, you're right. She said, hold up, hold up. I'm right? You're right. You know this is not the first time we had the conversation. Oh, no, I've lost track of how many times we've had this conversation. So why am I right now, but I wasn't right before? I said, no, 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 you, you were always right. I'm confused if I was always right. Why didn't you listen? I said, the, the words you spoke, the seed, has always been the same. But the soil has now changed. And because the soil has changed, I can receive the seed that was only on the surface. I don't explain away the seed anymore. Lord, I thank you that you see them, 
and you know them and you have set your love upon them. Lord, I thank you that you love them so deeply, more greatly than what they know right now. And I pray that there would be a fresh revelation of your love to every man and woman in this single season of life, that they would no longer receive the lie that I'm set apart, I'm waiting, I'm devalued. But Lord, I thank you today that your love is filling every place. And Lord, I thank you that even as you draw them by your love, Lord, that you're revealing your great purpose for them. Lord, in one great purpose you have, you said you set us in family. So Lord, I pray even now that you would call those closer into relationship with you and into relationship with family in Jesus' name. Just before Ayana prays, I want you to participate in your faith. If participating means standing, stand. If participating for you is sitting, sit. If you are in any of the categories we're praying for, just come forward. We're going to stand here. Uh, we did this earlier, and people came forward. God did amazing things. So if you know there's something, you're single, you're married, your kid, whatever family, just get up, come forward, walk up to any one of us. We're going to spread across. We'll pray for you here specifically as the people on the stage are praying for you generally. Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for every single um, couple in here, those that are not married, those that are courting and dating and engaged. Lord, I pray that you allow them to stand on your solid foundation. Lord, I pray that that foundation will be so strong. It will be so evident that they will not be shaken. They will not be moved, Lord God. I pray that their faith is strong. I pray that they remain grounded in their faith, O oh Lord. I pray that you give them wisdom, give them discernment, give them an ability to um, allow you to, to remove the scales from their eyes, remove the fear, remove the rejection, remove the doubt, remove whatever it is, Lord God, that is preventing them from being vulnerable with that person, preventing them from um, allowing you to, to, be, to, to grow that relationship, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that you will be at the center. Lord, that every couple that is engaged, every couple that is um, courting or dating, Lord, I thank you that you will remain at the center, that they will always put you at the center, and that no matter what, they, they will do things selflessly, that they will do things in love, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just before Chris prays, I want to really allow you know this is a safe place. And so I think there are people who want to stand and come forth for prayer. You're among family and friends, and we will be gentle. Jesus is lion, but he's also lamb. So this is for your own soul. So don't miss the moment of God being here to minister to you. Yeah, before I pray, um, I'm going to be praying for the married couples and for the men. Um, but the Lord just turned my heart to Genesis 3, and it was a moment where Eve and Adam, say Eve and Adam, both man and female had just taken of the fruit. And that caused sin to enter into the world. And it said they clothed themselves. They recognized that they were both naked and they clothed themselves. There was shame, there was guilt, there was accusation on both ends. And oftentimes in marriage, there is a spirit of accusation that plagues marriages. There's a spirit of blame. Why are we here? How did we get here? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Blame. And I love what God did. Oftentimes we think this is the first commandment to not eat, but I just shared this morning with the class the first commandment was, where are you? And I believe this question has 
has application, not just for the married couples and for the men, but for every one of us. And so I want to ask you all this question this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Has shame, has doubt, has conviction, has your sin prevented you from asking the Lord that question? Can you not get up out of your seat and say, Lord, here I am? That was the challenge. That was the challenge. And so my question this morning to both husband and wife, where are you individually? Where are you individually? And so, Father, I thank you right now for every married couple in this place. Lord, I thank you that your heart, your heart for marriage was an expression out of your love for both man and female. And Lord, as much as the enemy tried to come in and distort, to distaint what you had originally established, Father, I pray that every stronghold, every barrier, every blockage would be broken by the name of Jesus. Lord, that we could come to that place of recognizing where we are. Lord, if I could just focus on myself and not my spouse, you would do an amazing work in this marriage. Lord, may we embrace that. May we not look at the inadequacies or the differences in our spouses and see those inadequacies in ourselves. May we take, take and accept the issues, take and accept the blame, no longer making excuses for our own faults and say, Lord, here I am. May we all come to the reality of answering that question individually. Here I am as a husband, here I am as a wife, and may that produce reconciliation, that we would answer that question with you. Father, I thank you for your blood, your blood that covers us, that washes us, that reconciles us, that redeems us, that refreshes us, that replenishes us. Lord, may your blood wash over every married couple in this place. If your marriage is not right right now, and I'm not even asking you to raise your hand, but I'm asking you to confess to the Lord right now where you are at and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Change me. Move me. Change me. Move me. I don't want to be the same person I was before. I don't want to be the same spouse. I don't want to be the same husband. I want to be different, Lord. I want to know how to, I want to know what it means to love my spouse unconditionally the same way you love me unconditionally. That there is no condition to your love, so why do I hold my spouse with conditions? Help me love them. Help me see them the way you see them and love them. And as I want to pray for the men, you know, that same question that God asked, he said he asked the man that question. He didn't ask the woman that question. He asked the man that question. And I believe that there is an off-kilter in this nation right now as it relates to men. And so I want to do something right now. I want every man to stand up right now. I want every man to stand up right now. You know, I heard the Lord ask that question, and it's the same question that God is asking this nation. Where are the men? Where are the men? Where are the fathers? Where are the sons? You know, we can talk about it. We can watch it on the news. But the question is right now, where are the men? And more importantly, where are you men? Can I just, I'm going to just ask you in faith to just come up. Ask every man in this place to just come up right now. This is symbolic. Can we do that? I'm not going to get weird, but this is important. 
This is a moment, not just for this instant, but this is a moment for the nation. Where are the men? And the interesting thing about that narrative was the interesting thing about just men in general. It said that Adam hid himself. There's this tendency as men to not want to step up for whatever reason it is. And it's not a bad thing. We inherited it. Come on. This was something we inherited. I hid. I hid. I didn't know how to answer that question when the Lord said, where are you, Chris? I know how to answer it now. And my question, my question for every one of you, where are you? The master has called your name. He has come in the cool of the night. And he's not looking for someone to blame. He's not looking for someone to say, you dropped the ball, you messed up, you didn't do what you should have did, and so I'm gonna pass it on to someone else. You know, as men, we, we, we take things hard. We don't get affirmed. We go to work, we come home, there's no peace, there's sometimes no food on the table. You don't get that pat on the back, you don't get that hug, and you deal with it, you embrace it, you, you, you man up, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You suck it up, but there's a tear on the inside. And what happens is you implode. You don't know how to, to channel those emotions. And so now you hide because you just don't want to deal with the reality of accepting, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of having to go to work. I'm tired of having to provide. I'm tired of having to do all these things. I'm tired of having to be the man that someone else needs me to be. And this is a moment for you to put down your armor to put down your armor, to take off your man hat and say, Lord, here I am. Replenish me, restore me, refresh me. You can be open and vulnerable to allow God to lift you up. Because that's what I believe he wants to do right now. And so I want to pray specifically for every man right here. We got guys right now. But my prayer this morning is that you would learn the practice of putting down your armor and allow the master, the father, to fill you up. Because you may not get it at home. And that's the reality. Ladies, we need to affirm our men, amen? Ladies, we need to affirm these men. Can I get some sisters to intercede for these men? Because you're asking the same question, where are the men? They're right here. And so my prayer this morning, as I pray for you guys, is that you will learn the practice of putting down your armor and being vulnerable, being open to receive God's love, his affection, his identity. Can we do that? So just close your eyes. Lord, I thank you for every man in this place. Lord, I thank you for every man right now. Lord, these are men that have carried weight for years. They've carried weight for years. They've carried the weight for their families, for their marriages, for their, their loved ones, for their children. And Lord, at times they have taken shots. They have taken shots where no one came and said, yo, you're bleeding. You're hurt. Take a break. Lord, these are men that don't even know how to take a break. Father, I'm praying right now, supernaturally, you would give them 
a refreshing wind, a refreshing fire. Lord, that you would restore everything in them. Lord, that you would replenish what was lost and that as you replenish them, there would be new rivers of living water flowing out of them that you would lift them up, Lord, that you would call them out into greatness, call them out to being greater fathers, better fathers, Lord, not their own fathers, but Lord, the fathers that you wanted them to be, that they would no longer identify with things in this world, Lord, things on television, things that they wish they could have did or should have did, Lord, I pray that you would lay hands on them and that you would touch them in a way that they would come to know who they are and you Lord, you're identifying these men right now. You're giving them a new sense of security, a new sense of stability, a new sense of who you are as a son, as a brother, as a father, unlike anything else you've ever experienced in this world. Father, I thank you right now for imparting sonship. Every man here, every man here is a son. They are a son to you. Lord, I pray that you would love on them like a daddy loves on his son. Lord, some of them have never experienced the love of a father, and so it may feel weird. Lord, I'm praying right now that you would love on them and let them know you love them. May they hear your voice. I love you. I love you. I love you, Tim. I love you, Chris. I love you. I love you. I love you, LJ. I love you, Kijel. I love you. I love you, Holland. I love you. Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice. They would hear the voice of the Father right now saying, I love you. I love you. I affirm you. I'm proud of 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 you. The world's not, but I'm proud of you. The world doesn't love you, but I love you. The world doesn't care about you, but I care about you. Lord, may they hear the voice of the Father right now. Telling them, Lord, telling them you love them. Oh, Lord, may they hear your voice. Telling them you love them, Lord. experience the love of the Father that it would change them change them Lord hallelujah so I'm going to be praying for the next generation um, so if you have any kids around you or anybody who's in um, college, elementary school middle school, high school if you can lay your hands on them um, so we know what generations are because of God himself, that the Father sent the Son so that we can know what it means for there to be a transfer from one to another. Um, and as we're praying, I wanna think about too, if, even if you're like a school teacher, even if you're a daycare worker, if you work with kids, think about the kids that you work with. Think about those who you're transferring something to because as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, he tells him that, entrust what I've given to you to faithful men who will teach it to others. In there we see four different generations. You see Paul giving it to Timothy to give it to somebody else to give it to somebody else. So we have an obligation that is not just a choice when we get something, when we know something to give it on to those who are coming after us. So while we're praying, know that we have that obligation to pass it on. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are holy, that you are here, that you are mighty, 
that we can come to you as a father and that we can show this next generation something that they haven't seen yet that even with Jesus in Mark 1 that even before he did a single miracle you said this is my son in whom I love with him I'm well pleased let that be our posture as we pray for the next generation that before they do anything that we love them for who they are not what they do let us tell them that we love them because they are your children, Lord, that you told us to come before you childlike, that that's something that we're supposed to have in ourselves. Let us know what that actually means. Let us go forth from you and show this world something that it doesn't know. Let our identity be set truly in you so that there's nothing that will shake us out in this world, that we won't be defined by social media, we won't be defined by other people's opinions, we won't be even defined by good things that people think about us, but first we'll be defined by sons and daughters of you. Let it be you who calls us out into this world so we can be in this world but not of it, so that we can shake this world, so that children will know that there's nothing that's holding us back from preaching your gospel, Lord. That you tell us that it's your gospel that has the power onto salvation. That it's not in ourselves that we're striving to tell others, Lord, but that it's you. You said, no, let no one despise you because of your youth. Let us have that posture with our youth. Let them know that they can know you directly. That it's not their parents, God, but that it's your God themselves. Let them know who you are, so this world can know something that it's never known, Lord. I thank you for every youth in this room. I thank you that you know each one of their names, even before they know you, that you know them. And I pray that you build them up in a way that is not shaken, that is not caused by this world, that they're not shaped by the culture, but they're shaped by something that is immovable, that the God who was and is and is to come is the one who's calling them forth in this world. That you never change. You always stay the same. And you love us because you are love. That is who you are. That is not just something that you do. I thank you, Father, that it's you. It starts with you and it ends with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. great day, right? Um, this week, our staff and leaders had a retreat uh, close by, and it was an extraordinary moment. Uh, one of those moments, uh, all of us in the room sensed prophetically the need to pray, and we prayed then as we prayed this morning. I want to highlight something because there's some similarity from yesterday today, which is indication that this is not just a moment, but in God it's movement. And we sense revival happening among us as a people. Um, there were eight men uh, among us yesterday who were in, locked up. And Chris, who just prayed, he's an elder in this church. He just said, can we, lock, can we hold hands? So the men held hands and we formed a circle. And then we locked arms. And we, it was a circle. And in that circle, Pastor Rich, who's standing over there, was holding his son, Jackson. And so I said, there's eight men in the circle, not just seven, because Jackson is the eighth man. And he was enclosed in the circle, and it was this picture of men turned inward. 
locked with one another and able to care for the generation that was coming up. And there was also a sense that we could turn outward and still be locked so that we could fight off the enemy and protect our, our wives, our children, our women. And as I was standing here, all the men who are lined up, there's one man holding his child. Yesterday, it was, it was eight of us, and Rich, Rich was holding his child. He's the only one holding the child. And God's like, that's the same picture as yesterday. So I, I want to do this, and then we're done. I'd like for the men to lock arms. Because we fight together. One of the reasons why we as men have not been successful fully in our manhood is that we tend to go at it alone. But God already said it's not good for you to be alone. And as I said, that's not just about being single. But I want you to see yourself in, in a way of God joining you with other men who are locked arm in arm and it becomes this wall. And to take you out, they have to take out everybody. But when you're not locked, when you're not linked with other men, it's a single fight and the enemy can take you out. But when the enemy sees you locked, like, leave that brother alone because it's too many of them. And so, Father, I thank you for the locking of men right now being joined together by the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for the next generation that will not just survive but thrive because the generation before decided to lock up. Not just for themselves, but for the generation to come. And um, one of our men was praying. It was, it was Brandon. And he said there was a shout that used to happen in our church. In Grace Covenant. And I think it was Adrian Jones who said it. But he yelled out one time, Grace men. And all the men yelled back, we love God. And we haven't heard that sound in a moment. But I think this is a good moment to hear the sound today. Grace, men! We love God! You know what? I don't ever want to do anything by myself again after hearing that. Grace, men! We love God! 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 Because he made Adam and then he made Eve. So Adam, would you turn? Eve, would you stand? subservient. Women, you are equal to men. 
Though our society does not regard you as such, our king does. And as men of God, we say you are our equal in every way. Father, we thank you for the daughter of Eve. We thank you for these women. You are beautiful. You are not your hair. You are a daughter of the king. Lord, I pray for your spirit to come on your daughters, for them to know your affection, for them to know your appreciation. And as men, we repent for treating women less than what you made them to be. We repent for thinking them as less than our equal. We repent for thinking them as just objects of our own pleasure. They were made to be helpers in the kingdom of God to work the garden with us. And we honor the women that God has given us today. The young, the younger, and the older. And we will honor you as sisters. We will honor you as mothers. We will honor you as leaders. We will honor you by the grace of God. And we will treat you as sisters with absolute purity until the day God says to us in the Song of Solomon, my sister, my bride. In this church, it's going to be very natural for people to get married. She's going to be your sister, and then next week she's going to be your bride. And all the awkwardness of relating is going out of the door. Somebody say, it's time to get married. It's time to get married. Men will be men. And women will be women. Grace, men. Grace, men. Grace, men. May God restore that sound in our city, in our church, in our nation. Give God a shout of praise. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.